Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is July the 20th, 2018. And as always, it's great getting together with you at the end of the week so we can play that infamous game of catch-up. And boy, there's stuff to catch up on. Um, Today, I want to start out by telling you that we're going to take a hard look um, at the lies and the misinformation and the fact that you're not being given by the mainstream media on immigration and the way that this impacts the public understanding of the issue. But before we get into that, uh, I want to provide a little bit of background for those of you who may be new to my program. I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, um, the old INS, which was split up, mutilated, spindled, and folded in with a bunch of other agencies uh, when the Department of Homeland Security was created, the DHS. Um, It was so screwed up, in fact, I came to call the agency the Department of Homeland Surrender. And in point of fact, uh, I'm going to read something to you after I tell you a little bit about some of the places where you can find my writings, most notably, of course, Front Page Magazine and The Social Contract. Of course, my own personal website is my own personal favorite, Um, and and that website, obviously, is michaelcutler.net. But really, what I want you to think about is a statement that was given uh, by John Hostetler, and this was back when a hearing was held by the House Immigration Subcommittee uh, on Border Security, Immigration, and Claims. And and the date of the hearing was May the 5th, 2005. Uh, I was one of the witnesses at that hearing, and the topic of the hearing was the dual missions of immigration enforcement agencies. And it was predicated on a notion that I had given to Congress before 9-11, that we needed to split the service side of immigration off from enforcement. In other words, the people that were giving the, doing the adjudications work, deciding on whether to provide citizenship or a green card or political asylum to aliens, needed to be made separate and distinct from the enforcement program. And the enforcement program, in my vision, stands on three legs of the enforcement tripod. The Border Patrol enforces the immigration laws between ports of entry, stopping those who would sneak in, they're not entering undocumented, they're entering without inspection, they're trespassing, they're entering surreptitiously. You've got the inspectors at the ports of entry who apply the law there, and the decisions they make about whether or not to admit an alien into the country, it's a decision I made frequently. I spent four years, my first four years at the INS as an inspector at Kennedy Airport, is governed by Title VIII United States Code Section 1182. It has nothing to do with race, religion, ethnicity, this nonsense that it's about one color of skin or one, of, one color of, of, of hair or, or religion or eye color. No, it's not that. It's about aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, aliens who are mentally ill, criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, fugitives from justice, aliens who have been previously deported before, or aliens who would likely become a public charge, or if they worked, Uh, would likely displace American workers and or drive down wages for Americans and lawful immigrants similarly employed. There's nothing unreasonable about it. It's eminently reasonable. It makes good sense. But since when does good sense figure into the discourse in this country today? And this isn't a left-right issue. I'm a registered Democrat because I'm a labor guy, and now you've got the Democrats screaming, stop the deportation, stop raiding factories. But guess what happens when immigration agents raid a factory? They liberate jobs. You know, we always hear about the need to create jobs. Well, creating jobs takes time and money. You have to have an idea. You've got to get people to give you the money, whether it's by um, getting a loan or getting investors. It takes time. Then you've got to build a facility. And maybe a year, eight months, five years, who knows? Then you get to hire people. When you raid an employment situation the same day that the illegals go out the back door, the legal workforce comes in the front door, and it doesn't cost anything. Why on earth would 
members of either political party be opposed to it? Well, they're opposed to it because immigration, as I made the point when I was on Newsmax TV last week, isn't really about law enforcement anymore. It's truly a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable foreign labor, an unlimited supply of foreign tourists, an unlimited supply of foreign students. And for the immigration lawyers out there, an unlimited supply of clients for immigration lawyers. It certainly doesn't help the average American, does it? And the amazing thing are the Americans who are out there screaming, let's end ICE. Let's end immigration enforcement. Let's take down our borders. Read what the 9-11 Commission had to say. Or, if you don't want to do that, read what John Hostetler had to say at that hearing when he was the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee um, on Border Security and Claims. And, and so, uh, truly a remarkable statement. Um, I'm just trying to figure out where I should begin what he said, because he talked about how the creation of DHS, the way they dealt with immigration, violated the Homeland Security Act. The Homeland Security Act was passed in 2002, just about a year after 9-11, before the 9-11 Commission report was even done. But everybody knew that immigration failed. Immigration failures let the terrorists in. Immigration failures enabled them to hide in plain sight and move freely about the country as they went about their deadly preparations. And so... Let me, let me read more of it than I had planned, because the more I think about it, I think it's really important for you to hear what John Hostetler had to say. Please pay attention. I know it's dry. It's not exciting. But, boy, did he get it right. And as you listen to his words, remember that this guy at the time was a Republican and chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and President George W. Bush occupied the Oval Office, a Republican. So you have a Republican arguing with a Republican president, Today, it seems like when that happens, they're arguing against Trump's desire to secure the borders and enforce the law. Back then, it was the exact opposite. Our country, while we weren't looking, did a 180-degree U-turn. That's really what has happened in America since 2005 when this hearing was conducted. So without further ado, let me get to it. This is his words now. The first two sub subcommittee hearings of the year examined in detail how the immigration enforcement agencies have inadequate resources and too few personnel to carry out the mission. By the way, folks, still the same problem, isn't it? The witnesses mentioned the lack of uniforms, badges, detention space, and the inevitable low morale of frontline agents who are overwhelmed by the sheer volume of incoming illegal aliens. If this were not enough, the immigration enforcement agencies also face internal confusion resulting from dual or multiple missions in which immigration has all too often taken a back seat. Sadly, contrary to Congress's expectations, immigration enforcement has not been the primary focus of either of these agencies, and that is the subject of today's hearings. The Homeland Security Act, enacted in November 2002, split the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, or the INS, into separate immigration service and enforcement agencies, both within the Department of Homeland Security. This split had been pursued by Chairman Sensenbrenner based on testimony and evidence that the dual missions of the INS had resulted in poor performance. Exactly what I said before. There was a constant tug of war between providing good service to law-abiding aliens and enforcing the law against lawbreakers. The plain language of the Homeland Security Act, Title D, creates a Bureau of Border Security and specifically transfers all immigration enforcement functions of the INS into it. Yet when it came down to actually creating the two new agencies, the administration, that is the Bush administration, folks, right? The Bush administration veered off course. Although the service functions of INS were transferred to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, the enforcement side of INS was split in two, what is now Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, to handle interior enforcement, and Customs and Border Protection, CBP, to guard our borders. ICE was given all customs agents, investigators, intelligence, and analysts from the Treasury Department, as well as the Federal Protective Service to guard federal buildings and the federal air marshals to protect our airplanes, and finally, INS investigators. 
CBP was given all Treasury Customs Inspectors at ports of entry, Agriculture Inspectors from the Department of Agriculture, and INS Inspectors. At no time during the reorganization planning was it anticipated by the committee, that is to say the Judiciary Committee and the Immigration Subcommittee folks. At no time was it anticipated by the committee that an immigration enforcement agency would share its role with other enforcement functions, such as enforcement of our customs laws. This simply results in the creation of dual or multiple missions that the Act sought to avoid in the first place. Failure to adhere to the statutory framework established by the Homeland Security Act has produced immigration enforcement incoherence that undermines the immigration enforcement mission central to the DHS and undermines the security of our nation's borders and citizens. It is not certain on what basis it was determined that customs and agriculture enforcement should become part of the immigration enforcement agency except to require federal agents at the border to have more expertise and more functions. It is also unknown on what basis the federal air marshal should become part of this agency, especially since it has been revealed that the policy is not to apprehend out-of-status immigration aliens who, when they're discovered on flights. If the mission of the Department of Homeland Security is to protect the homeland, it cannot affect its mission by compromising or neglecting immigration enforcement for customs enforcement. Now, this is the critical part also. Now, think about what you're about to hear. The 9-11 terrorists all came to the United States without weapons or contraband. Added customs enforcement would not have stopped 9-11 from happening. What might have foiled the al-Qaeda plan was additional immigration-focused vetting and enforcement. And so what was needed is a recognition that, one, immigration is a very important national security issue that cannot take a backseat to customs or agriculture. Two, immigration is a very complex issue, and immigration enforcement agencies need experts in immigration enforcement. And finally, three, the leadership of our immigration agencies, and I love this, should be shielded from political pressures to act in a way which could compromise the nation's security. Shield them from political pressures. Look at the loons out there demonstrating, being led by the leadership of the Democratic Party. And I'm a registered Democrat. I am beside myself. I am embarrassed. I am outraged, as should every American capable of breathing. How in the world do you protect American lives and American jobs and national security by having no borders and permitting anybody who walks into this country to get whatever it is he or she wants? It's remarkable because Chuck Schumer made a point that said that we need to have a five-year federal law against people who trespass on critical infrastructure or landmarks, and he talked about how dangerous it was. This was around 2014 even on his website, cited some 16-year-old kid, some airhead, who had climbed the World Trade Center to take a selfie. And there it was on his website, this kid did something dangerous. You know, he's ready to put a 16-year-old boy in jail. Chuck Schumer is tough, unless you're an alien who trespasses on America. And then Chuck Schumer and, and all of his little buddies on, in, in Congress say, hey, no problem here, let's give you citizenship. Goodness gracious. But let me tell you what, and let's be clear about this. The Republicans are only incrementally better. Yes, the Republicans pinned the Democrats down and said, you want a law that takes INS and, or ICE and destroys it? We'll bring it to a vote. Let's go. Well, of course, the Democrats freaked out and said, mm, maybe not. We won't vote for that. Really? Then what were you demonstrating for? You had nothing better to do? You want to get the mobs out there on the streets so that we have some street theater? But no, they weren't about to vote for it. But how strong has the Republican Party been? We know that interior enforcement is critical to immigration law enforcement. I talked about this last week. I talk about it frequently. A, a wall 50 feet tall on the Mexican border with barbed wire and electricity running through it and, and, and Teflon walls and spraying it down with oil so no one gets a foothold won't stop illegal aliens from entering the United States. 
I could put a device in your pocket that can get you over that 50-foot wall. There's two different ways you can do it. Passport with a visa or especially with a green card. So if you don't go after immigration fraud, well, you don't care about people who violate the terms of their admission as non-immigrants or criminals who should lose their green cards because they've committed felonies in the United States. If you're not having a problem with that, then the wall doesn't matter. The president wants another 15,000, I think he wants another 15,000 or a total of 15,000 ICE agents. We have about six or 7,000 now. And the Republicans aren't running to give them the money for the agents because if you hire the agents, they'll go after the crooked employers who hire illegal aliens. And what would the Chamber of Commerce say? If you hired all those agents, you would uncover the fraud, but that would mean less people would probably go running to immigration lawyers for fear that if they filed a bogus application, they're going to go to jail. So we're not going to do that. So for all the talk about, look at those Democrats, and they don't care about ICE, and, and, and the Republicans voted in support of ICE. And I, I have to tell you, as a former INS agent, I appreciated that vote of confidence and support. But if they really want to show support for immigration enforcement, if they really want to end the immigration crisis, put your money where your mouth is, hire the agents. Hire the agents. Mandatory E-Verify won't stop the employment of illegal aliens. Mandatory E-Verify is easily defeated by employers who hire illegal aliens off the books. The only way to find them is to go out on the street and find out who's working in the factory. You walk into the factory and you see 48 time cards and 153 employees. You know there are people working off the books. This isn't rocket science, but it does take agents to do it. No agents, no cases. No cases. You're not stopping the employment of illegal aliens. It's very simple. You can put up all the signs on the highway that you want that say what the speed limit is, but that doesn't matter unless you put cops out there with radar guns and summons books. So this business about E-Verify is just like putting up speed signs on the highway but not backing it up with cops with radar units and summons books. So what's the point to the exercise? To you you, be able to say you did something? Please understand the nature, the magnitude, the scope of the problem and how it impacts us. And now we have lunacy here in New York uh, that, that's beyond belief. Uh, this, this trial, that, that, or rather the indictment, not the trial, I'm jumping the gun, 12 individuals, part of a transnational gang from the Dominican Republic. Now, I don't know what the citizenship of these 12 thugs is. They may all have been born in the United States. But in this don't ask, don't tell environment, the Trinitarios, we know, are from the Dominican Republic. We just don't know where these knuckleheads are from, but it doesn't much matter because no one's going to tell you. And the city is certainly not going to tell ICE whether or not these people are here illegally because no matter the fact that they killed a 15-year-old kid who wanted to be a cop, Junior, a kid who was loved by the community, everyone knew who he was, and now you've got all these reports, justice for Junior, justice for Junior. Type it into Google, see what pops up. Justice for Junior. Everyone knows about poor Junior ripped apart with machetes and knives in a bodega. He crawled and got within a block or so of a hospital and an emergency room and died on the street. This 15-year-old bright light in the Bronx who had aspired to be a New York City police detective. And, you know, we always see those stories. Oh, this kid planned to be a neurosurgeon. Well, this kid was part of the NYPD Explorer program. And from every account I've read, Everyone in the neighborhood loved him to death. They all wanted to basically make him part of their family. And why did he die? Well, they're saying it's mistaken identity. Wow. Wow. But we're going to shield these gang members from immigration because immigration's evil. Let's remember that. And these gang members, well, they were having a bad day. Maybe it's a matter of anger management or something. Think about it. Think about it. So on the day that these guys were arraigned for murder, New York City and New York State and five other states, geniuses all, were in federal court in Manhattan demanding that the federal government restore funds that had been taken from them for public safety because they stuck their thumb in the eye of the Justice Department and said, screw you, we're not going to do anything to help you get rid of criminals. And by the way, it isn't only criminals that pose a threat. When you look at how terrorists operate, 
Sleeper cells don't have criminal histories. They go about their business very low-key. They smile, they wave, they look happy. Everything's great till they blow up a building or hijack an airplane. That's what a sleeper does. So you would think that we would say, if you're not here legally, then we've got to do something about it. You have all these governors and all these um, mayors and some chiefs of police who are really the, the puppets of the mayors. Oh, we can't possibly enforce immigration laws. We won't get cooperation in the community. I'll tell you what. I was with the DEA Intelligence Division in New York for four years. One of my key responsibilities was to specifically use my immigration authority to cultivate informants. There's no better example of community policing and community cooperation than to walk into an ethnic immigrant community and have the people come up to you and provide you with information. And that happened every day of the week. It certainly happened when I was promoted a senior special agent was assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. But this doesn't square with the lies that you're being told in the media. If the mayors of those sanctuary cities are really concerned about the quote-unquote immigrants, they ought to be telling them, hey, if you fall victim to a crime and you're here illegally, don't worry about it. If you go to immigration, you can get a visa if you help the police find the guy who hurt you or find the guy who hurt your neighbor. They'll work with you. They'll reward you, not with money, but maybe even with a green card, but you've got to come forward and cooperate. There is no greater incentive to get people to cooperate. Why then are we being told the fantasy? Oh, no one's going to talk to anybody if immigration works with the cops because these mayors and the politicians don't want to offend the businesses that are paying them. I mean, that's what a campaign contribution is. It's a quid pro quo. This is for you, and now this is what I want. Okay? They don't want to interfere with that. They don't want to interfere with the voters. They don't want to interfere with the apportionment of seats when they do the census and they count the uh, illegal aliens along with everyone else. So that affects the apportionment of seats and funding, and it affects the votes in the Electoral College. So there are many reasons why, many reasons why, you've got the Democrats screaming, let's abolish ICE until they were told you're going to have to vote on it and then we're going to pin you down. And then they ran like little chickadee dees. Oh, we're not going to do that. No, we were just kidding. Ah, don't you have a sense of humor? We didn't meet end ICE. No, 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 no. Really? Check out those videos. Check out those speeches. Check out those words. They're on video, folks. Can't take them back. They're out there forever. They got a life of their own. They got a life of their own. And you're talking about ending an agency that has a serious mission dealing with national security. Think of what John Hostetler had to say. The 9-11 terrorists all came to the United States without weapons or contraband. Added customs enforcement would not have helped stop 9-11 from happening. What might have fallen al-Qaeda was additional immigration focus, vetting, and enforcement. How crystal clear. How crystal clear. And by the way, New York City gets the lion's share of the funding for counterterrorism because New York has been shown repeatedly to be the prime target for, trans, for the international terrorists. But then I wrote an article, and it was just published yesterday, for Front Page Magazine. And, of course, my article was entitled, uh, let me just pull this up. Bear with me, folks. It's one of those days. My article is entitled, The Left's Embarrassing Plea for Open Borders, The Real Facts Immigration Anarchists Tried to Hide from the Public. So think about how every time you turn on the news, we hear the stories. The kids that were separated from the family, the kids that were separated from the family, the kids that were taken from their families, the kids that are traumatized, the kids that need psychological treatment, the kids that are in foster care. Oh, my God, the children, the children, the children, the children, the children, they're not with their parents. Oh, my God, what are we supposed to do? Look what the administration did. They ripped children out of the arms of their parents, these evil people. Stop. Stop. Apparently, we're talking about 3,000 children who were brought to the United States perhaps not even by their own parents, but maybe by human traffickers. They came here illegally, without permission. They were here in violation of law, without inspection, and so they were stopped. They were dragged through the desert. You know, if you leave a child in a car, there's a good chance that the police will come and take the child from you because you've endangered the child's life during the summer. 
you know, that's 120 degrees, leave the kid in the car, what happens? The kid dies. Drag a kid through the desert where it's 120 degrees, guess what might happen? The child might die. But somehow if you drag a kid through the desert rather than leave the kid in a car with the windows rolled up, in one case you're a criminal and deserve to lose custody of your child, in the other case you're a hero. Really? And when you go down to the to that border, and I've been there, there's rattlesnakes and scorpions and poisonous insects, there's criminals, there's the weather, there's the conditions down there. How do you stop this from happening? You prosecute people. That's why we have crimes, and that's why crimes come with punishments. That's why Chuck Schumer said if you trespass, it should be a five-year felony. New York City makes it a misdemeanor. It's only a couple of months in jail. That doesn't stop anybody. Five years in jail will stop people. Unless we're talking about running the border, because that becomes a whole new story. Unbelievable. So we hear about these 3,000 kids every hour, on the hour, more frequently than the weather report or the traffic report. It's incredible. I know if I flip on the radio, we're going to hear about the kids, and we're going to hear some psychologists talk about the irreparable damage putting a child into foster care does. Foster care evil. Foster care mean-spirited. Foster care is terrible. We must not do this to children ever again, because if you do it, you're destroying their lives. Okay. So, I went to a website, and if you go to my article, it's Front Page Magazine, and if you go and you read my article, I have a favor. Please post it on Facebook. Please send an email to your friends and zap them the link so they can see the article. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth. I am tired of the BS. I'm up to here with the BS. It's overflowing. It's overflowing. In my article, I quoted the website known as Children's Rights. And there's a section on foster care. Foster care is evil. 3,000 kids brought here maybe by alien smugglers. If we gave them back to the alien smuggler and the child died, I guarantee you there'd be riots and people screaming, oh, my God, they returned the kids to the smugglers. 70 kids at least were not picked up by their parents. You've got to wonder if their parents really brought them, brought them here. But we keep hearing about the 3,000 kids. So let me give you a different statistic. And, again, this statistic appears on the website Children's Rights. On any given day, fasten your seatbelts, folks. This is going to knock your socks clean off. On any given day, there are nearly 438,000. Let me read that again. 438,000 children in foster care in the United States. In 2016, over 687,000 children spent time in U.S. foster care. Did you hear that? Let me read it again because it blows my mind. On any given day, there are nearly 438,000 children in foster care in the United States. In 2016, over 687,000 children spend time in U.S. foster care. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And it gets worse. On average, children remain in state care, care for nearly two years. The judges are screaming, 40 days, you've got to release them, 40 days, 40 days, 40 days. Okay. On average, children remain in state care for nearly two years, and 6% of children in foster care have languished there for five or more years. Not on the border, folks, so it doesn't matter. Not sexy, of no concern to you. Keep on moving. There's nothing to see here. Forget the 438,000 children in foster care. Forget that in 2016, 687,000 children spent time in foster care. Ignore the fact that on average children remain in state care for nearly two years and 6% of children in foster care have languished there for five or more years. Don't worry about that. Worry about the 3,000 kids who were smuggled into the country, probably not by their own parents. And so the smugglers were taken into custody. The children were taken from them because their lives had been endangered, and the people that had been caring for them, if they were caring for them, were, were being prosecuted. That's what zero tolerance was about. And then we get to this statement. 
Despite the common perception that the majority of children in foster care are very young, the average age of kids entering care is seven. And in 2016, more than half of children entering U.S. foster care were young people of color. But, of course, why care about American blacks and American Latinos? Now, to be fair, maybe there were some illegal alien kids in there. We'll never know because the city of New York won't tell you. Don't ask, don't tell, and if you ask, forget it anyway. But look at those numbers. Look at those numbers. And listen to the screaming about 3,000 kids who weren't pulled out of the parents' arms for no damn reason. They weren't walking down Main Street having ice cream, and, and the Border Patrol jumped out of the bushes and grabbed the kid and said, Aha, I'm taking you from your mother. That's not what happened. They were running the border and got apprehended. That's what happened. That's what happened. And nonstop, the kids in care, the kids in care, they're traumatized. Psychologists and teddy bears and ice cream and lollipops. Oh, my God, the children, let's get them some balloons. They're suffering. They're traumatized. How many teddy bears were distributed to 438,000 children in foster care? How many psychologists, lights and sirens, rushed in 2016 to sit down and help 687,000 children who were in foster care that year. Why aren't you hearing about this in the media? I'll tell you why you're not hearing about it. Because it's not about the children. The DREAM Act was not about the children. Right? And the dreaded word alien somehow crawls into DREAM Act, alien minors. If it was about the children, the age cutoff would have been 18, 19, 21, I don't know. But to qualify for the DREAM Act, they had passed it. Aliens as old as 35 could have qualified. They just had a claim. They came here before they were 16. And with no interviews and no field investigations, what's the likelihood we're going to know when the hell they came here? And when you run the border, no record is created of your entry. So where are we? Do you see the point, folks? Do you see the problem? That's the problem. These are all lies. DACA, deferred action, childhood arrival. No, claimed childhood arrival. When did you ever hear the media say claim childhood arrival? They all came children. These are kids. These are children. They even got the president believing it. The children. We've got to help the kids, the children, the young people. Really? Do you know by now those DACA recipients could be 36 years of age? A lot younger than me. But a child? 36-year-old children? The only 36-year-old children I know are politicians because they've never grown up, probably never will. 36-year-old children. Holy smoke. But this is how the media reports the story. And some people contacted me and said, my God, I never thought to look at those numbers. Where did you find it? I said, on the Internet. Nobody thinks to do a little bit of thinking and a little bit of homework and figure out what the hell's going on. Because all we kept hearing is kids in foster care, kids in foster care. And I said, well, there must be more than that that are already in foster care. I mean, how many, you know, people live in the United States? 330 million? So I went online and I said, statistics, children in foster care. Bingo, there it is. That's how hard it was to find. You think the journalists are looking for that number? Really? Do you think they give a damn? When these, how many kids are in foster care? No, they don't want to know about that because that goes against the narrative that they've spent all this time carefully constructing. We have a narrative to, 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 to propagate. It's purely out of the ministry of truth from George Orwell's 1984. The children, the children, the children, 3,000 kids. But we ignore right now there's nearly 438,000 children in America in foster care. How much more blatant does it need to be than that? How much more blatant? What better example can I give you of the madness that's being foisted on the American people and being peddled as truth? And then you look at this thing about justice for, for Junior. And another kid, apparently by the same gang, beaten within an inch of his life by a 21-year-old piece of trash. 
Guess how old the victim of the beating was? 14 years old. A little boy. Beaten to within an inch of his life. Stabbed and slashed and cut by somebody a third older than he is. Right? 14 verses 21. Do the math. So this thug damn near kills this kid, stabs him and slashes him and beats the snot out of him. But don't worry, because the mayor of New York is doing the right thing. Sure he is. He's going to protect the guy that beat that little boy. That guy needs protecting from evil ICE agents. I mean, the last thing you want, it takes my breath away. And then if you read the accounts, and this, and, and I'm, I'm giving you a sneak preview because I have an article in the works for Front Page Magazine. So then you read the account. Now, now here's what's really dumbfounding. This is what really makes my head spin like a flipping top. Okay? They have something now, the city of New York, they are not without concern for these kids that are being set upon by gang members. It seems like every day somebody's getting attacked by a gang with knives. That's the new thing in New York. It's fashionable. It's fashionable. Buy Kevlar. They have certain kinds of Kevlar. They're better against knives. So when, when you go out and you buy Kevlar, make sure that, that it's good against blades because it seems to be the, the weapon of choice these days, right, and, and which makes sense. I mean, you know, New York is anti-gun. So, of course, get knives. Brilliant. So they have something now that's being referred to uh, as the, um, um, I'm trying to think of the words, the Haven Initiative. Safe Haven Initiative. There we go. The Safe Haven Initiative. Well, you can't imagine the creativity that we have here in New York City. Who could have thought of this kind of brilliance? Certainly, I'm not smart enough to do this. I mean, we've got some true leaders and brilliant people in New York, and that's why it's the Big Apple, because we have geniuses running around making policy decisions. The Safe Haven Initiative requires shopkeepers, you're going to love this, to intervene if a child comes running into their store being chased by a bunch of knife-wielding thugs with swords and knives and maybe guns, I don't know, baseball bats, brass knuckles, what do you like? The shopkeeper is now going to be responsible for protecting the child. It's the Safe Haven Initiative. Doesn't that sound delightful? Don't you hear the, the, the delightful music playing? Now, I guarantee you the shopkeeper has no guns because this is New York City. So the shopkeeper is supposed to vault over the countertop and I guess put on his red cape real quickly. I don't know if there's phone booths anymore in these stores. Put on his red cape and say, stop, and save that child from the marauding gang with the knives and swords and blades and chains and whips and guns and baseball bats because we now are going to have a safe haven initiative in new york city and listen this is brilliant the cops are going to teach the shopkeepers how to do this have we lost our complete flipping minds the safe haven initiative so that some kid runs into a store being chased by, by a dozen gang members and the shopkeeper is now expected to jump to the child's rescue. Holy smoke. Does it get more insane than that? That the day that these 12 pieces of garbage were being arraigned and charged with murder, New York City and others are suing the Justice Department. Give us our money. It's $25 million on the line. I think $4 million was supposed to go to New York City. Give us our money, and we won't cooperate with you anyway. Folks, this is the Twilight Zone. Almost be a skit from Saturday Night Live if it wasn't true. The fact that it's true makes me believe that we need to change the motto of the United States when you walk into a port of entry to get e pluribus unum. Baloney. Forget that. Put up, abandon all hope, all ye who enter here. The insanity, the chutzpah. I, I don't know. What do I call this? What do you call it? The idea that we're going to shield criminals from immigration authorities that want to arrest and deport them. I can't have that happen. Al Capone went to jail, not for extortion, not for murder, not for bootlegging, not for prostitution. Al Capone went to jail 
for tax evasion. That's, that works. He committed tax fraud. He lied, and he went to jail. Got him off the street. That was the issue. When you have truly evil people, you do whatever it takes to get them off the street so they can't hurt anybody. You would think. You would think. So what do we do here? Well, we're not going to use immigration enforcement. Uh-uh. No way, because the immigrants, I remember every alien in the minds of these folks in their fantasy world are all immigrants, and they're all wonderful people, and when they kill and stab and rape and behead people and do all kinds of crazy crap, there was a story about some guy that took a chainsaw to his wife in front of his children. He was previously deported. I don't know how many times I was on Gary Sutton's program on a WSBA this morning. He was all worked up over it. <laughs> so his wife unbelievably survived. I don't know what kind of life she's going to have after being mauled. I don't know what other words to use. Dismantled by a chainsaw. Blood spattered on the kids. You think they're going to? But I, I believe that the city where that happened in Pennsylvania is also a sanctuary. So Mr. Chainsaw doesn't have to worry about ICE because he'll be protected. This is national suicide. This isn't xenophobia on my part, folks. It's madness on their part. I'm first-generation American. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. I'm embarrassed to say it. I'm embarrassed to say it. Maybe there should be a registry for people who are registered Democrats so that, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm mortified. The only thing I do say to people is the Democrats aren't really Democrats. I don't mean people like me. I mean the, the nitwits that run the party and what a party it's turned into. And then we've got this woman in Queens running around saying, occupy the border, occupy immigration, no more immigration, no more immigration. Well, maybe no more immigration isn't what she thought it was. It doesn't mean stop them. It means bring everybody in and make no exception. This is what now passes is this really what the founding fathers had in mind when they started the American Revolution? You know, I, I sit here on Friday nights, and it's, I guess, cathartic. Because on a daily basis, my head wants to explode. It wants to explode or spin around like rotor blades and lift off and fly away, never to be seen again. How can you reconcile everything you know and believe in with the madness that comes out of our politicians. How do you go to sleep at night and feel safe when you have no idea what the hell's going to happen by the time the sun comes up in the morning with these clowns in charge and the threat of terrorism and gangs and all this other garbage coming at us from 15 directions? And no, I'm not paranoid and I'm not xenophobic, but we used to have an expression in law enforcement that just because you're paranoid doesn't explode. Well, I'm not being paranoid. But if anyone scares me, it's not the criminals, it's the politicians. It's the politicians that took an oath of office. It's the judges who scream about immigration law enforcement being unconstitutional. It's not unconstitutional, folks. Article 4, Section 4, the states are supposed to be protected from invasion by the federal government. I think that these thugs charging into America, coming across the border, coming in the stowaways on ships, flying into international airports, and doing that kind of damage, I think it suffices and meets the definition of invasion. Really, it does. And what are we doing about it? Bupkis. Absolutely bupkis. I don't even know what to say or where to begin. That's the problem. That's the problem. <clears throat> Pardon me. We look at this lunacy, and you try to make sense of it. You look at children being stabbed to death and killed, and the city of New York says that the shopkeepers will now take care of them. We have hundreds of thousands of kids in America in foster care, and no one talks about it. But when 3,000 children are smuggled across the border, many by human traffickers, would you put them back with the human trafficker if you didn't know if the person that brought them was really the parent? How does a two-year-old tell the agents whether or not the guy or gal with them is really their parent? It would be the height of irresponsibility for the president or for the Justice Department or for the Border Patrol to simply turn two-year-old and 18-month-old children loose in the so-called care of the people who brought them here when we're not even certain if they're related. 
So they were doing the DNA testing that I recommended. They're trying to make sure that they're being careful. They want to err on the And what we're hearing is about foster care traumatizes kids. So again, I ask, if trauma, if foster care is traumatic, what's being done to address the 438,000 children who are in foster care as you listen to this program? What's being done about them? When do they get the teddy bears, the hugs, and the psychologists? When is that coming their way? You see, understand the level of cynicism, the manipulation of the facts. This has never been in America before. This is new. We've imported mental illness, and I'm not sure where it's coming from. But you have to be a resident of a mental institution to not see how crazy this is. You know, we used to make arrests in New York City when I was, especially up at the drug task force. It was very common. You'd go into a, you would take somebody out. You were charging them with, with huge quantities of heroin. They were looking at life in jail. We were taking machine guns in one case, and the team from ATF took hand grenades out of a house. If those individuals have children, they're not staying with the kids. So child welfare used to accompany us on raid. If we want on a major, major raid, high chance of violence and so forth, if you looked at the caravan of vehicles, sometimes we had social workers from, from child welfare with us, and sometimes the last vehicle was an ambulance in case things went real bad. And by the way, next time you see a, a procession, the motorcade for the President of the United States or other world leaders, you'll almost always see the last vehicles and ambulance, just in case something goes terribly wrong. Makes sense. So child welfare would come in, and they would look at the squalor where the children lived, and they would take the kids out of the apartment, and everybody was okay with that. And die at the hands of their parents, because the parent is crazy, or a drug abuser, or alcoholic, or God knows what. There was a story a couple of weeks ago, uh, it brought me to tears, a child with autism, the mother starved the child to death. Starved the child to death. Wow. And immediately people said, why didn't they take the child out of that house sooner and separate the child from his mother? Nobody in the media complained about that. But when you have people dragging children through the desert, across the border, into the United States illegally, where we're not even certain who brought the child here or where the child's parents really are, or if the child was maybe kidnapped because some criminals figure that a child is a, is a keep-out-of-jail card, because that's what it had been under the prior administration, you would think that, you know, somebody would say, well, thank God they're being careful to not just turn these children back over to these adults, because maybe they're smuggling parents. Who the hell knows? They certainly didn't show good judgment dragging children through the desert. Just like the parent who leaves the kid locked in a car isn't showing good judgment and loses custody. You know, I remember years ago, a Swedish couple, because in Sweden things, I guess, were different. I believe they were from Sweden, one of the Scandinavian countries, were having lunch or dinner in some very nice uptown restaurant, high-class place in Manhattan. And they had the child. It was, it was a, a fall evening, so the temperature was, was perfect, you know, 65 degrees, whatever. And they had the child in a stroller next to the window, and they were sitting by the window so they could keep an eye on the stroller with their child in it. The police came by, doing, you can't leave a child unattended, and it was a whole big deal. Eventually, they let the parents keep the child, but that was the normal reaction. You can't have a, you know, a child a year and a half, two years old out on the street corner while you're sitting in a restaurant enjoying your dinner. What kind of parent are you? And not too many people protested. Not too many people said, wow, that's crazy. I think the average New Yorker said, that's kind of nuts. Why didn't they bring the child into the restaurant? Did they not want to be bothered by their own child's crying? You know, what's going on here? There are so many instances where the authorities tell a parent, you're demonstrating that you're not fit to care for the child. Nobody says a word. Nobody says a word until we get to the Mexican border, which is a magical place. The Mexican border is absolutely magical if you're twisted, sick, and perverted. 
Common sense and the laws apply. Reasonableness should apply. But we've lost our minds. We've lost our moral. We've lost our rudder. We are adrift in a vast sea of stupidity. And I've stopped calling Washington the swamp because swamps are natural occurrences and swamps are the habitat for all sorts of critters, frogs and insects and toads. And and the wetlands are a critical part of, of, of the whole chain of life on the planet. So swamps aren't such bad places. Washington, therefore, is not a swamp. Washington, I would submit, is a cesspool. There's nothing good about a cesspool, and it's created by human beings. Washington, ladies and gentlemen, from this day forward, should be referred to as the cesspool. We've absolutely lost control of our people, of our minds, of our leaders. None of this is making any sense to me. I have to wonder if it makes any sense to you. If it makes any sense that you have people saying that we are not going to enforce our laws, we're not going to protect our people, we're going to ignore the 9-11 Commission report, we're going to ignore the law, we're going to ignore common sense, and we're going to get people fired up and then convince them that when there are members of the administration having a night out with their families, attack them. This isn't the America that I grew up in. This is what you expect from the third world. In America, we're supposed to be respectful of the people we agree with and the people we disagree with. The ACLU used to go by the slogan, I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. We've now become the country that says, I disagree with what you say, and I will sue you to death. It's called lawfare. The amendment is supposed to be about but increasingly, that's what's happening. And that's everybody that elections have consequences. Elections have consequences. There are things that the president says and does that i got to tell you I disagree with. I, I wish sometimes he would think before he speaks. I'm upset with the fact that he's, he called the travel ban the travel ban because it wasn't a travel ban. It was actually an entry restriction. Big difference. And it wasn't because of an executive order that those people were kept out of the United States. It was because of a proclamation that under Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182F, the president has that authority to issue a proclamation if he believes that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens, either as residents or non-immigrants, as immigrants or non-immigrants, would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Detrimental to the interest is about as low a standard as you could possibly imagine. I wish that instead of Twittering, the president had sat down and had as Roosevelt used to do back in the 30s, except maybe do it by TV. And tell the American people, you're being lied to. You're being lied to. President Carter invoked the same section of law, 1182F, Title Eight when Iranians overran the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. As Commander-in-Chief, the President has ultimate responsibility for public safety and national security. He's the Commander-in-Chief of all federal agents and Commander-in-Chief of all armed forces. We can't protect our country from our enemies if they can gain access to our country. The mission of ICE, the next time you hear someone scream about dismantling ICE, the mission of ICE basically is an extension of the armed forces. There's over a million, by the way, over a million members, enlisted men and women in the armed forces right now. And you've got about 6,000 ICE agents. Just think of these contrasts. 37,000 6,000 ICE agents. Um, 45,000 people at TSA, 6,000 ICE agents. Have I made my point? 15,000 FBI agents, 6,000 ICE agents. And so you, you look at those numbers and you look at the mission of the armed forces, which is to keep our enemies as far from our shores as possible. Well, today the terrorists aren't coming on U-boats that the Navy might stop. Today, folks, our enemies are coming on airliners, and it's up to immigration to stop them. Would that they had the resources. And bad as it is, these yo-yos want to make it worse. 
They want to dismantle immigration law enforcement altogether. And if that ever did happen, God help us all. For far too long, the American people have refused to get involved, refused to do their homework, refused to learn the lessons, refused to stand up to the bullies. Stand up to the bullies, folks. I'm from Brooklyn. You can't run. You can't and You can't hide. Sooner or later, this BS is going to catch up with you. I'm not asking you to go out there and do anything violent. Absolutely not. That's the last thing I want from anybody. But I do believe that your voices need to be heard. And the ballot box on the phone with your alleged representatives, emails, snail mail, have conversations with your friend at the diner. Just say to them, give me five minutes. Let me tell you what I think, and then I'll listen to you. If they're not willing to do it, that should prove to themselves that they are either cowards or don't know what in the world they're talking about. Let's go back to being a country of discourse, discussion, debate, and mutual respect. A lot of very good Americans have been snookered, the same way that people get swindled out of their life savings by getting that email that says, congratulations, you've just won $5 million. Now just send us $5,000 and give us the name of your first pet, your mother's maiden name, you ever went to, and your Social Security number. And then they get cleaned out. People can be gullible. Children are very often abducted when the abductor says to the child, I'm looking for my puppy, can you help me? And suddenly that 9 or 10 or 11-year-old kid who's normally pretty bright turns to mush and starts running around looking for a puppy that only exists in the twisted mind of the abductor. The same tactic has been very effective with those children when they grow up to become adults, except instead of puppies, they use the word children. Help us with the children. And suddenly the same emotions kick in. Suddenly the same thought processes kick in. And all reason goes out the window. Uh, this is a very dangerous situation. People need to understand different from the game being played on that child that's to be abducted because purportedly they're looking for a puppy. Here they're chasing mythical children, and those children are just a device being exploited to play on the compassion of Americans who are known throughout the world for being among the most compassionate people. These individuals are using Americans' compassion as a weapon against us. We need to push back. And we need to have the guts to stand up and say, wait a moment. It's not xenophobia to want to keep criminals and terrorists out of the country. It's common sense. It's not antisocial to lock my door at night, especially when the police warn me that there are home invaders and burglars wandering around the street after the sun goes down. This is common sense, folks. And we need to use our heads, and we need to be united as Americans and get in with your neighbor. Let's have those conversations, and let's make certain that we get our voices heard, because, you know, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I thank you so much for joining me this evening. If you found my program worthwhile, interesting, please let your friends and neighbors know about it. Please use Facebook, the other social media Send them the link to my podcasts. Send them the link to my articles, to my uh, website, michaelcutler.net, to frontpagemag.com, to the social contract. I need you to be part of my bucket brigade of truth. We need to get the truth out there like never before, because sure as hell, the mainstream media won't do it. Have a great weekend, everybody. I thank you for joining me, and I look forward to joining you again at the same time next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night, everybody.